Today, we're gonna to be talking about one of the biggest private equity firms on planet Earth, KKR. Founded by these three guys back in the 1970s. Man, did they have a wild ride. Basically, the creators of the leveraged buyout. So we'll be kind of breaking down some of their initial strategies and how they got to be managing $488 billion today. Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. All right, so three guys started with 120,000. They launched their private equity fund in 1976. Jerome Kohlberg, Henry Kravis, and George Roberts. They were all former Bear Stearns guys. They had worked in finance. They had worked in, uh, you know, worked with uh, private equity before. They they went on a year later to raise about 31 million dollars and deploy that in private equity strategies. Now, they were honestly somewhat of the pioneers in the LBO, the leveraged buyout, which is a common, you know, one of the staple strategy in private equity today. Um, you know, a year after inception, they went out and bought a $26 million company with only $1.7 million down. So like 6%, right? Today, that's fairly common, uh, you know, and for to buy real estate or private equity assets with uh, little or even sometimes no money down. But uh, you know, back in the 1970s, this was this was like crazy. This was absolutely ridiculous. You know, at that time, yes, you could facilitate debt in a transaction, but never uh, to this extent. Basically, you know, quick refresher on how that works is, you know, obviously mortgages on a house. If a house costs half a million dollars, you know, you go down and you put maybe 10% or even 20% uh, down on a home, and then the bank finances the rest. Uh, you know, the strategy was introduced for companies back then where, hey, we've got this company that's generating revenues and maybe there's not a fixed asset that they can collateralize, but we can collateralize the cash flows of this business. So basically this business is predictable enough that it can generate revenues, consistent cash flows that we can underwrite to cover the debt obligations of a loan. But only not only do they do that with one loan, they go out and they get multiple tranches of debt. So you'll have like a primary lender, a secondary, mezzanine, subordinate debt. Like there's honestly like, there's like 20 different types of debt out there today. But these guys were one of the first to realize that, hey, you know, we can use leverage to go buy out the majority of the company, put a little money down, and uh, this actually generates a higher IRR for, uh, uh, or relative ROI for our investors or for our money. Um, now, obviously with debt comes more risk because you have these fixed you know, debt obligations that you have to cover, but it was honestly a, a tremendous model at the time. Now, some people argue that the heydays of private equity are over. I fundamentally kind of disagree in some aspects. Now, yeah, they're not, there's not just these cash cow, massive behemoth companies sitting on the marketplace with you know no debt, because that's really what it was in the 1980s and 1990s. It was a heyday for private equity. But I think there's still opportunities, but just at the lower end of the market. So lower middle market, which is a great place to be for emerging managers as well, because you're just starting out and you probably don't have billions of dollars already raised. 
um, there's there's still tremendous amounts of opportunities in the lower and, and, and middle markets. So I wanted to kind of jump into a timeline here a little bit to paint you a picture of how KKR went from you know 31 million in their first fund to now managing 488 billion dollars today. So KKR went out doing their traditional, their, their LBOs. It actually wasn't even called private equity. It was called, it's an LBO fund, right? Like it's an LBO strategy. And they went out and they had some massive hitters. I mean, they, they went on to acquire Safeway, uh, which they returned a 56 return on uh, invested, a 56 equity multiple, uh, which is crazy. You know, to their investors, they had other notable wins, but one of their most noteworthy and what they're most famous for came uh, out of a deal in 1988. If any of you guys have read the book or watched the movie Barbarians at the Gate, it's about this evil private equity firm that comes in and takes over RJR Nabisco. Now, obviously that was many years ago and it's not as common of a story today, I unfortunately, but um, I mean, this was the banner story, the pinnacle example of of private equity and the pros and cons that come with a private equity buyout. And this was led by KKR. So if you haven't read Barbarians at the Gate, uh, you should. It's a it's great read and a great, uh, great film. I'd be doing KKR a disservice if I didn't talk a little bit about the, the buyout of uh, uh, RJR Nabisco. So let's talk about that story a little bit. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, if this podcast has added any value to you or your business, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. RJR Nabisco at the tail end of the 1980s was a tobacco and food company, funny enough. Um, but those were their primary products. And they were, uh, you know, they had built this massive company. They were uh, a household brand, a very well-known brand. Uh, but they had kind of reached this point of, you know, stag stagnation, right? They weren't, they weren't growing that much. And their CEO, Ross Johnson, you know, he was starting to, you know, come under some criticism because I think he had like a an army of like 10 different private jets. He had like all these different private golf memberships. He was he was living a pretty lavish lifestyle. And the CEO, uh, you know, as, as, as board meeting approached um, and he had to present to his shareholders, he invested all this money into a smokeless cigarette, uh, which he thought was gonna be the next big thing. And, uh, and that ended up, you know, tanking and uh, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this product that was ultimately a bust. And literally like weeks before his shareholder meeting, he says, well, let's, let's, uh, let's pursue a, a buyout. Let's, let's buy this company. He had formerly had conversations with KKR uh, where KKR kind of introduced the idea of an LBO to Ross Johnson. But uh, Ross didn't like that idea because when KKR comes and buys a company, they control the company. They exclusively, at least at the time, they only entertained full buyouts where they had full discretion over the assets, which means CEO lo loses his jurisdiction. And so Ross Johnson didn't want to work with KKR because he would lose controls of the reins. Um, so he said, well, look, we can, I can put together my own team and I'll buy the company, right? I'll, so he kind of wrestled together this, this team of random, you know, misfit all-stars to try and execute on uh, what was one of the largest uh, leverage buyouts uh, ever, really. You know, long story short, basically between him and uh, KKR and a couple other firms, they get into this bidding war about trying to buy out, you know, RJR Nabisco. Ultimately, the board voted with, uh, it was this massive bidding war and the board voted with 
uh, KKR and KKR won the deal. You know, Ross, because of his greed, uh, was was fired. He's, I mean, he still made gobs of money. He didn't make billions of dollars, but I think his exit package was, you know, tens of millions of dollars. So, I mean, he didn't lose out too bad. But, um, you know, it was this it was this crazy story. They ended up buying the company for twenty five billion dollars, one of the largest uh, buyouts of its time. And, you know, in retrospect, I mean, yes, it was good and it was bad for KKR because uh, it was good because they made a bunch of fee income from it, uh, from the transaction. They, they charge, uh, you know, upfront fees on the deal. And they got a lot of publicity from it. And you know, you know what they say: any publicity is 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 good for the company. But a lot of it was bad because, ultimately, as they started running the company, like in order to service the debts, they started have uh, to do these corporate divestures, right? Which is basically taking the company and splitting it up into different companies or or, or subsets, and then selling them off. Uh, to cover the debt obligations. So they basically kind of sold off different parts of RJR Nabisco. And ultimately, I think it was end, ended up being a loss for uh, their investors. Uh, not not crazy loss, but it definitely wasn't like a home run or anything. Uh, but it's it's definitely one of the you know most talked about LBOs of all time, just because of the kind of corporate raider mentality of this deal, where this you know, private equity firm comes in, literally buys out the company, sells off the assets and, and divests it. Um, so again, good and bad for KKR. All right, so back to KKR and their business development. So they went on, you know, running their LBO business. They started expanding into different markets. They started getting bigger and bigger. And in 2004, they finally expand into another asset class. Uh, they introduced private uh, private credit. We've talked about that before, but basically where you're issuing debt to uh, different uh, companies or assets. Uh, they So, I mean, but really they, they went on and ran LBOs for almost 30 years before they uh, introduced a subsequent strategy. I say this all the time, establish yourself as an expert at one thing, and it makes it a lot easier to go and establish subsequent products. All right, so, and then a few years later, they expanded into infrastructure. Uh, that's an asset class we haven't really talked about at all. Uh, and that is really, uh, I mean, it's a, a lot of different things. There's transportation infrastructure, which is gonna be like your, your highways, your bridges, your roads. There's utilities, there's uh, social infrastructure like schools. Um, there's renewable energy uh, infrastructure, there's communication infrastructure like uh, telecommunications, like uh, either uh, radio towers or, or satellites. There's all the sorts of infrastructure. It's a great asset class. Um, you should look into it. Um, and then again, they launched uh, real, a real estate arm a few years after that. Hey guys, so if you wanna learn more about investment funds, uh, how they work, how they're structured, if you wanna become a fund manager, how I became a fund manager, visit our YouTube channel for more free value. The link is in the show notes. Thank you. Now, a couple of note, uh, noteworthy line items is they actually decided to go public in 2010. Now, a lot of you guys have, I've been asked the, the question uh, many a time is why would a private equity firm ever go public? Well, for a variety of reasons, really. Traditionally with funds, there's an LP and a GP structure, right? Your general partnership is managing your limited partnership. That general partnership is oftentimes just a traditional LLC. Now you can take um, the fund portion or the management portion of that public. 
making those products accessible to the public markets. So a lot of the times people will go public is, you know, access to new money, right? Um, it makes it a little easier. It's also a, uh, a big liquidity event for any of the partners involved because now there's a, basically a secondary market for their shares, right? If, you, if you're an owner of a private company, it's kind of hard to sell your private stock. But once you go public, it's a lot easier to sell, you know, portions of your stock. Brand visibility, any sort of public company is typically a lot more talked about and covered in the news because everything's public, right? They have to publish their earnings, they have to publish their filings, like everything's all out there. And so, you know, a lot, a lot of the times they'll get picked up by the press and just become uh, a lot more of a well-known brand. And then lastly, employee incentives, right? Uh, with a partnership or an LLC or private companies, you can issue like unit interests in an LLC um, or um, partnership interests or rev shares, but it, it's a little more complicated. But on the public markets, uh, you can introduce stock plans, stock compensation plans to employees. So as you get a bigger organization, it makes a lot of sense to you know have a, a good structure of issuing employee stock. Many years later in 2018, they actually converted uh, from a limited partnership to a corporation. Uh, while on the public markets, and some people wonder, well, why would you ever do that? Because uh, isn't the LPGP structure the best? And I would say, and this isn't legal advice, not tax or investment advice, uh, but it's great at the beginning. It's definitely probably one of the easiest and most advantageous early out. KKR had amassed, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars under management, and you know they're always looking to grow. And how do you grow? You bring on more investors. And a limited partnership actually limits some tax-exempt investors from investing into uh, you know, the partnership. Um, but as if they convert to a corporation, then more tax-exempt investors can now participate. So that was one of their primary motives, as well as when you're a public limited partnership, you lose some of the capital gains treatment. So they actually, you know, in corporate, uh, uh, in the Jobs Act, when the tax rate uh, was cut down to 21%, uh, it's actually more advantageous for them, uh, you know, fiscally to be structured as a corporation rather than a limited partnership. All right, KKR started with 120K from three guys in the 1970s. Went on to launch their first fund of $31 million, really pioneering the LBO strategy. They went on to raise uh, subsequent funds and take down one of the biggest LBOs of all time, RJR Nabisco. And ultimately today, they consist of pr private equity, real estate, infrastructure, and private credit, managing $488 billion. KKR, you know, one of the household brands, one of the big names of our generation. You should know who they are. Um, hopefully, you took something great away from today's episode. All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action. We are not selling or soliciting a security in any way, shape, or form. This content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice. Clients of Fund Launch or Black Card Capital Partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast.